Um, I've been um, teaching on the gates of, the, of Jerusalem, and of course, we finished that last week, and it was a very good series. I really just sense the Lord use that. That was just powerful. And so as I go forward here, I was thinking, you know, what it is that the church needs. Um, you know, what happens is you, you, you get people coming in, you know, into our church, and uh, they may even come from Baptist churches, but yet probably not understanding necessarily what a Baptist really is. And, uh, it's, it's, and you won't get that from most modern Baptist churches. It's, uh, uh, some of them you do, I've looked at some websites, and even those that maybe are conference Baptists and stuff like that, I've seen on statements of faith where they had elements of that historical uh, meaning behind it. I was always pleased about hearing that, but yet at the same time, then they have rock and roll music playing. You know, and so there's, there's a very powerful aspect to why we are Baptist. Uh, I'm not a Baptist because it's a preference, yeah. you know, and, and I know everybody that comes here at some point, you're, you're making a decision, you know, why am I a Baptist? You're wondering why you are one, and it starts maybe being a preference, but from there, it moves on to something else. Uh, for me, uh, it's a conviction, you know, and that's why folks that can just uproot themselves and go just jump into any pool, you know, of, of religion, uh, it's, it's, most of it is they don't understand what it is that they've come from. And so I thought what I was going to do is just talk a little bit about Baptist distinctives and why we are what we are. And I'm going to show you uh, a couple things about that. Uh, throughout the centuries, uh, they, they, of course, they're not always called Baptists as such. They don't have the name. You can have a church that is Baptistic, but nece not necessarily call themselves a Baptist church. Now, these days, it is mostly that way because the, the name has carried over for so many centuries uh, from way back. We're a Baptist church because we, we hold to the principles that have started way back with Christ and have moved on. Uh, a lot of people don't understand the difference between, let's say, a Catholic church or a Lutheran or anything like that and what a Baptist church is. It's not, even, it's not the same playing field at all. And uh, you need to know that difference. Otherwise, you'll be confused as far as, you know, you know, should, should we accept this or accept that? Uh, you know, throughout the centuries, there's been people known as Donatists, Novations, uh, the Waldenses are a big group, uh, the Paulicians are another one you see uh, that are Baptistic way back from the early centuries till now, and uh, many others, you know, and I've done some Baptist history research, and I've taken courses, and I've got a master's course on it, and I'm trying to refresh myself with all the details. There's so much that, that a person can learn about the past. But they were ultimately all given a name that, is, that we regard, we, we call the Anabaptist. The Anabaptist. Now that name uh, wasn't, uh, it wasn't chosen by these groups. They didn't choose that name. Uh, they were usually a group that would identify with their leader, or with their pastor, and they would be called different things based upon who's leading them. Um, but what happened over the centuries was, uh, you know, especially with the, the start of the Catholic Church, um, the, the churches that weren't Baptistic started calling the churches that were Baptistic, they call them Anabaptists. And the reason for that is the word Anabaptist simply means re-baptizers. Yeah. And so we would be known that we would re-baptize people. Well, you say, what's the big deal with baptism? Well, it was a pretty big deal. People lost their lives over it. And, it, and, it's, uh, and even today, you know, we may minimize that 
aspect of it, but for me as a pastor, it is a vital part, and anybody that comes in, that is a part that I look at very closely because your baptism reflects what, where your authority came from and where not only that, but, but where your, what your doctrine is. Uh, I, I was telling my family this afternoon that there was a man by the name of Alexander Campbell, and he was a Baptist, and yet he turned against the Baptist movement, and he, he started something on his own. And, and in, when he started that, he got a friend of his to baptize him, and then he baptized his friend. So what you think about that. See, what they were doing is renouncing the baptism of the Baptist church, and they were reestablishing a new baptism uh, given by someone that wasn't even baptized in that baptism, you know. And so it's kind of a weird thing. That church is now called the Church of Christ. But that's where the Church of Christ began. And that's why the doctrine of the Church of Christ is a baptismal regeneration. They believe that you have to be baptized in order to get saved. And so you got to be careful. you got to know these things because people will say, I'm from the Church of Christ. And oh, great. And they'll, they'll have the same lingo, but you got to remember where they came from is this baptismal regeneration where you have to get in the water in order to get to heaven. Now, to me, I would not receive that baptism. If someone came, I've been immersed, I'll say, yeah, but <laughs> immersion isn't the whole thing. There's an authoritative baptism that you ought to have. And that's why some people get very offended because they say, well, I was sincere. I was very sincere. Well, your sincerity has a, just a small part of what baptism really is. In fact, your baptism is not going to get you to heaven. It has nothing to do with you going to heaven. It is a statement of your obedience. And sure, I'm sure you're sincere about that. But at the same time, your baptism also tells a story. And so many times I've, and I've baptized a lot of people, a lot of people. And I've had so many conversations, I can't recall uh, even a quarter of them about where their baptisms came from. I remember back home, um, there was a Baptist church that came out through the movement of immigrants from, from Germany, and they were establishing all over my hometown. And so we had several Baptist churches, and many of these were independent. Uh, some of them were independent, some of them were connected together. But their problem was, is that even though they claimed a Baptistic uh, background, they taught you could lose your salvation. And so I would have uh, you know, people come to us, they'd start coming to our church, with the baptism from these Baptist churches, and then I would have this pleasurable experience of having to explain to them how I couldn't receive that baptism for our membership. Because folks, you got to remember something. As soon as you do that, you're also saying, if, if this baptism is authorized, then the movement you have come from is also authorized in the eyes of the people. And so as, as, a, as a pastor... Every time I accept the baptism, I'm saying it's this, the, where they came from is okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I have to have some standards and some uh, lines of delineation here where I know that, you know, this is not what we identify with. And your baptism very much is an identity of what your belief is. And so this particular young man, I believe, was called to preach. And he came from that church and, and he, he, he battled through this. Well, I'm a Baptist and I've been immersed. And yet I told him, well, we can't receive that. Well, I, I was sincere. And I, I says, I agree with that. I'm sure you're very sincere. But the aspect of baptism isn't just about your particular personal sincerity. It has far more to do with your testimony to the people of God in the church. Yeah. That they know what you are. 
And so the, what we accept reflects upon what we accept. And, and so there comes a line that we draw, and I know it's difficult, and, and if you don't really care about these kind of things, and you're just saying, la-di-da, I'm just a Christian just trying to get along with everybody, you're going to think it's a pretty harsh thing. But if you're a pastor that has to meet God, <laughs> you know, that's a different ballgame altogether, and that's why I'm willing to lose people over that. I'm not just going to compromise like the world would, and some people would. And so that's important. And so our baptism many times reflects the doctrine. In Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Now, we know that one baptism there isn't necessarily talking about water baptism. Because we know that if you get baptized once or twice, Acts 19, the disciples of John got baptized twice, once, once by John, another by the Apostle Paul. So there's no salvation attack, you know, through being baptized twice. And it's not that you can't be baptized twice. But the baptism it's talking about there is your placement into the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one time that happens. So you can't repeat that process. Amen. Once you're in there, you're in there. And even if somebody tells you you're not in there, you're still in there because you have nothing to do with it at that point. It's what Christ did, not what you did. And so the baptism connects you to the faith and the faith reveals who your Lord is and it works together and so when we're physically expressing that in water baptism it really is in a real way you're giving a testimony of what your faith is and you're also testifying of who your Lord is and if you have a connection to a group who has been off on the gospel and off on these major things. And today, I mean, you just, wow, it's hard to keep up with all the movements that are out there. Sometimes you have to say, I wish I could just say, hey, if you want to come to Arches, y'all got to be baptized, you know, but I'm willing to wade through that. I'm willing to talk through this and come up with a, a solution that's right, because I don't want somebody to get baptized that doesn't need to be baptized. But if you identify with a doctrine that is false, you should want to be rebaptized. Yeah. To connect yourself with the proper faith that reveals who the Lord really is. And there's a reason why those churches that are out there aren't called Baptists like us. Because they're not like us. You understand that? It's not just who picked the name out of the hat and I like this name like, we, like we're naming kids here. There's a reason why we are a Baptist. It's revealing our doctrine. It's revealing where we come from. It, it reveals the very foundation of what we believe in this church. And that's why we have to be very careful in, in those type of decisions and what we accept. And I, I, made a, I just made a commitment before I even started this church. I said, Lord, you know, there may have been errors in the past and things we allowed in the past that, that probably shouldn't have been. I said, but Lord, this church, I don't want that to happen. I, I want this to be bona fide and true from the beginning to the end. I remember there was one guy that that got baptized in, in my hometown, and he was sprinkled on. And that's a big deal with the Mennonites. They get poured on and so forth, and that's their baptism. And he never felt that he needed to be rebaptized, But he did it because he wanted to be a part of the church. And you find out later he wanted to be more of the uh, elite of the church. So what you have there is you have a motive problem. And so even in that... It, it really wasn't an appropriate baptism. 
because he wasn't really renouncing. He wasn't saying, I've changed from this faith to, to this faith, which is clearer and purer than it was before. It was mostly, I'm doing this for my own uh, desires. And ultimately, that person turned against the church, rebelled, and caused a lot of problems. And so it's funny how that happens, you know. So your baptism, where you come from, what you believe, has a big part of what you are here in this church and what place you're going to have as we move forward. And I know this is, a, this is a mature subject. This isn't something, you know, you just tell anybody that walks into the church for the first time. So if you're here for the first time, I apologize, you know. But uh, at the same time, I, I'm not going to shrink back from it, you know. We've got to teach it. So these churches that basically what happened is the Anabaptists, they were called Anabaptists by the ones that the Anabaptists were reaching in and getting people saved out of these movements. And the Roman Catholic is the big one. So what would happen is the Roman Catholic Church came up with what's called pedobaptism, where they would baptize babies. Now their idea was this, that if you can get them into the church as a baby, they're with us forever. And you know what, it's, it's, that is not so far off from the truth. Because many people I've talked to that are Roman Catholic, they have no idea of the doctrine of the church, nor are they even, they call it practicing. They, they've come up with two, I guess, two groups within the Catholic movement that is practicing and non-practicing. And so they're just as happy to say non-practicing as practicing, but I'm still a Catholic. And, um, and I'm not here to, to, to bash people. Like people are, are genuinely deceived by this. But this movement is of hell. It's a false doctrine from beginning to end. And I can prove that beyond a shadow of a doubt. You know, the gospel is wrong. It's a works-based gospel. Uh, Their whole idea about original sin is wrong. uh, The aspect of confessing your sins to a priest is wrong. Uh, you, You know, you having to do penance for your sin as relayed to by the priest is wrong. I mean, there's really not much right I can get out of here, other than maybe they're against abortion and, and some of these deviant lifestyles, which I'm questioning whether that's true anymore, uh, at least not with all of them. And so, so fighting hard for doctrinal purity in a time where you're under severe pressure, where you're actually going to be killed if you don't. They believe that uh, there's such a thing called transubstantiation. So when you have the mass, and this is... Today, as, as it was centuries ago, they believe that when the priest prays over that wafer, it actually turns into the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the wine that they drink turns into the very blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's called transubstantiation. It transitions over. And uh, movements that have come out of the Catholic Church, like the Lutheran Church, believe in what's called consubstantiation. And that's where they say it contains partially... Not, not whole. And, and so that's some of the teaching that is brought over from the Catholic Church into the Lutheran Church. And so what was happening is these Baptists would go out and try to win souls, and they, they would be the ones burdened for souls. And they'd go out and give out the gospel. And what would happen is some of these people that had been baptized as babies were now being saved. And because they were being saved, they got put into this process of Scripture where it says that you have to be saved and baptized. Uh, the baptism is your, your response to what Jesus has done for you in your salvation. Yeah. So if a person is saved, um, after they get baptized, they need to be baptized. Yeah. 
Say, well, I got baptized a year before I got saved. Well, then you're not baptized. Because your baptism is an expression of what the Lord did in your heart at your salvation. And, and that's vital. You can see that in the scriptures in Acts chapter 2. They that gladly received his word were baptized. So they had to first gladly receive before the baptism. You know, so there has to be a surrender of the heart before. And that's why pedo-baptism, of course, is wrong. Because eight-day-old babies don't have a clue. But that's where they would, they would place that salvation of that baby upon the parent's responsibility. You know, and that would be a part of the graces that God would give towards the salvation of that baby. Then, of course, after that, the sacraments would maintain all of the purity throughout the life. Uh, you confess your sins. Uh, they believe in pedo-baptism that the original sin was dealt with. So no more Adam sin. So your sin nature has been dealt with in the pedo-baptism. Then after that, the sacraments would deal with the rest of your sins in, in present form, in the way they're going on. And then at the end of your life, you have what's called the last rites. Because, of course, you've missed some sins. And then not only that, after that, you have another heresy, which is called purgatory. And this is where they would put pressure on people that if you would pay the priest, you know, we'll pray for your, your loved one has passed away, that, that he would be brought out of purgatory and brought into heaven. And that was based on monetary value. And so, folks, that's what I say. You know, I'm against people. I, I love every Roman Catholic person out there. But we have to love them enough to be able to express this truth because I think we've come to a place now where people aren't even, aren't even saying anything about it and letting these people really go to hell and not really believe the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have friends and family, co-workers that are Roman Catholic, you're treating them just like they're a Baptist, and it's not true. They're not saved, and they need to be born again, and they need you to care enough to put yourself out of your comfort zone and tell them, you know, exactly what the truth is. And so, because they rebaptize these babies, they were called rebaptizers. And that's where we got our name. Now, that Anabaptist uh, doctrine, and it's funny because the Mennonite people, which is people I love very much, my, my, my people, they believe they're a part of the Anabaptist movement. Yet I'll tell you something, you rebaptize among some of the Mennonites, and they will tear a strip out of you. They believe you're blaspheme against the Holy Spirit of God. And so they've totally forgotten. See, that's why it's important for us to understand what we are. You know, we are rebaptizers, <laughs> and, and not necessarily because the first one was valid, but because they were offered a false one, yeah. and, and they weren't saved. And so we, we, we help them to be saved, and then we help them to express that in believer's baptism to the, to the church family. And by the way, baptism isn't universal. It's not a universal ordinance. It's a local church ordinance. So it's not something that the big Christian body has decided this is how we're going to do it. The Lord laid that upon individual local New Testament churches to implement that for their people. So what matters, your baptism matters to this church. You know, it doesn't matter what the people think in the next church or Christendom as a whole. It really has no impact. Your baptism has an impact on these people. They see what you are. They see what you believe. You see, that's what makes the difference. Why is that? Because this is supposed to be unified. This is supposed to be of one mind, one spirit, uh, one mouth glorifying God. And so it's not about bringing the whole Christendom together. 
This is about our local church. That's all we can do is control the boundaries of this local assembly, amen? And so that's why we fight for that. Baptisms are not a denomination. I don't believe in denominations. There is no governing head here. You can call my home church and say, hey, Pastor Friesen, I don't agree with him. You say, well, you better talk to him then because we have no authority over that church. As much as you want them to clean my clock, they're not going to do it. And if they did, they'd be violating the principle of the independent church movement, which is very vital to our existence. And so we don't have a governing head. We don't have a denomination that is telling us what we ought to do or not do, who, what missionaries we ought to take on or what we ought not do. Uh, we have the headship of Christ, and we've got this local body. That, and like I said, I'm not the head. I'm a part of the body. And we work underneath that head, and we just simply want his will done within this church. And like some people say, it's because um, they say, you know, well, if that's the case, then, then uh, who's going to protect us from abusive leadership? Well, <laughs> it's pretty easy to do, <laughs> you know, especially in the local church, because I'm one, you're 30, you're 50, you're 60, whatever it is. Uh, there's no way a pure local church is going to allow error and heresy to continue within its body you know and if it comes from the pastor well go to our statement of faith and our constitution it tells you how to handle that uh, i've never seen somebody do that Any, anytime anybody even attack me as a pastor they never operate according to the rules you know so they themselves become a rebel because they want to deal with this rebel pastor or whatever it may be whatever their idea is you know i mean if you're so right then do it right and if you're not doing it right, then just shut your mouth. You know, that's not the way God does things. And you have no authority in that type of way. But there is a way, according to Scripture, that we ought to deal with an erring pastor. Amen? Now, I've got no problem saying that, you know. I mean, you come and talk to me about it, you know. So we don't believe in denominationalism. And I think, like, putting a, a governing body in between me and, and Christ, how is that going to change things? Well, how do you know whether that governing body isn't abusive? <laughs> you know, how do you know that they won't allow error? And that's really been the case. Yeah. Southern Baptist Convention, now also we're denying the virgin, the, the virgin birth and we're denying all these things. And now, oh, we're just underneath this. It's not really our fault. It's our, well, my goodness, man, if that's why you were there in the first place, then I guess it'd be better not to have you there and let each body determine what the doctrine they believe is. And that's why denominationalism is just, it's, it's a wrong idea. It's a wrong idea. All right? So true Baptist churches are those that hold to distinctive biblical principles that marked Baptist churches throughout history. And it's amazing, some of these uh, principles that we, we deal with as Baptists were not something that we just said, oh, this is what we are, we, we, you know, we just seem to exude these doctrines. No, it was because the pressure is because of what happened to us. So these things were happening to us, and as a result of that, we went to the scripture. We said, is this right? Is it right to force us to, you know, bow down to the wafer? Is that right? And so the distinctives that we hold to are based upon the study of the word of God, based upon what has happened to us. And out of that pressure, these doctrines arose to become our foundational principles. So it's not just which one somebody all of a sudden just, you know, got an inkling to like. 
I mean, these were tr- tried and true. I mean, these, these people went to, to, the, to stake for these doctrines. Mi- millions, in fact, 70 million Baptists have been martyred for holding uh, to pure doctrine. They were brought into courts because they didn't believe that that wafer turned into the body of Jesus. They couldn't, in good conscience, stand before those people and say, this is not the body of Jesus. It's just a memorial. It's just a remembrance. And they would kill them. They would kill them. (laughs) This is not fairy tale, man. This is real stuff. There are far more Baptists that have been killed than anybody in any Holocaust. You understand that? Their blood has paved the way through centuries. And what we are is the result of that. And that's why we can't just say this is some weak movement or it doesn't really matter if you're Baptist. Folks, there's a reason why we hold to that name. There's a reason why I will not take it off the sign. Yes. Amen. You know, today people do that. Well, you know, people don't look at Baptists the right way, so we'll take it off the sign. And people do it all the time with their churches. Oh, we're non-denominational, and that's it. <laughs> well, my goodness, man, at least when you see the word Baptist on our sign, you know what's within that church. And I understand, doesn't mean that everyone knows those principles and holds to those principles. But that's the way it ought to be. When you go to the store and you get yourself a can of soup, it's got the ingredients on the can. Yeah. So you don't have to eat it until you know what's in it. Yeah. And that's why we put the ingredients on our can. Amen? And people know what we hold to. <laughs> All right? And so, so they've, they've preached against these things. They've preached against infant baptism, transubstantiation, other heretical doctrines. I want to bring up a graphic that I have here. This is a, this is a graphic that you would get out of the booklet called The Trail of Blood. Well, The Trail of Blood, what it does is gives you a history of the churches. Now, if you look at that blue line where it started there in Rome, that's how the Roman Catholic Church began. And then, of course, through that, broke off. I'm going to have to, <laughs> I can't see it, <laughs> you know, into the Greek Catholic, the Roman Catholic. And then from there, you see Lutheranism, Presbyterianism, the Congregationalists, even of North America, were, were uh, breaking off of that. The Church of England came out of the Roman Catholic Church because the, while the Roman Catholic Church would, would, would exercise authority over the king of England. So it all depended who was in power at that time. I mean, if it was a Catholic king, then you'd have Catholic religion as our state religion. If, if all of a sudden it changed over, the Catholic church with all that power wouldn't want to let go because it's, oh, you need the church. And so what happened is the Church of England began as a result of that saying, we don't want you to tell us what to do. We'll develop our own church. And so they protested the Catholic movement and that's why the Church of England came out of that. And the Methodist movement as well. So you look at all these denominations, they have come from one root. And that's the Roman Catholic root, Catholicism. And that began with Constantine, the emperor. Now at first, the, the Roman emperor brought a lot of persecution upon the churches that were existing in the first and second century and so forth. People would die a lot because the Roman the Roman government would kill them and blame them. Even the Apostle Paul, uh, the Christians were blamed for the burning of Rome. They would put them in the Colosseums. They would let lions eat them. They would uh, kill them. They'd let the gladiators cut them up, whatever they wanted to do with these people. But there was great persecution that was against the Christians right from the start. So when Constantine came along, 
I think it's about uh, second, third century, I forget right now. But what happened is he made a deal and said, hey, and, and he had somewhat of a spiritual bent, I guess. And he wanted to make a deal with the church, especially it was at Rome. Of course, we know that it, it has nothing to do whether there was a church at Rome and it has nothing to do with the church at Thessalonica or because they were independent bodies. But this particular independent body became, uh, became coerced or, or, or bribed through the government to join up with their plan because Constantine wanted to create what's called a state church. And that state church would now be underneath the government authority where now the church could actually exercise the authority of the government to accomplish their purposes. And you say, well, that'd be great. We could go out and get the gospel out. Well, it's not so great, and that's why one of our distinctives is separation of church and state. Now, I've heard that used over and over, especially in our government, which is a laugh. They separated church and state, and that's why they're allowing all this wickedness in. That's not what God meant. He's not saying separation of of state and God. He's just saying separation of the authority of the government given to the church to exercise authority over individuals to make them do and coerce them to do what they want them to do. So the Baptist church throughout the centuries, because they were a victim of this, said this is our distinctive. We hold strongly to this. I don't want the authority of the government to rule over people. In fact, any pastor knows this. The Bible tells us neither being lords over God's heritage, but being an example to the flock. Never are we supposed to micromanage people's lives. I wouldn't want that responsibility. It's not that I couldn't have something to say to you if I could. But even though I know some people are wrong in many areas, I don't take up the place of God in your life. I preach and teach, and that's why the things that I say over the pulpit should be heavily weighed by you. Because that's in place of my micromanagement. (laughs) You understand that? Some pastors don't get that. They still micromanage and they lord over God's heritage. I have no desire to control your life or the direction that God brings you. But all I know is if you're here, you've got to be right with God. That's it, (laughs) you know. But the Lord calls you and uh, I'm not one to stand in your way. But you'll know whether it's God very quickly (laughs) that's calling you. You know, because there's something supernatural about that. Amen. And so what you see with all those red dots there, you see independent churches that just existed throughout the centuries, that each one looked at themselves as, we got to maintain this boundary underneath Christ. And they continued on, and they'd go win people to Christ, but you'd have these two lines of churches today. And anybody that's broken off of the Roman Catholic Church, you would call them, well, there was a time the Reformation came. And remember, part of that was Martin Luther nailing his thesis to the door there of that Catholic Church. Because he came to the conviction that, that salvation was by faith, not by all these sacraments and baptisms and all these different things, which he was right at. But the problem is with his, with his whole movement of reformation, the word itself is inferring to you that I'm trying to reform the church. It's never what you do. Some people try it even today. They come into a church and, well, we'll fix this. No, you won't. I mean, once the church is compromised, it's on a decline down to zero. So what you do is you go find a church that is doctrinally correct. But you can't reform. And so they tried to reform something that started in corruption. Because in their mind, they still thought this was was authentic. 
And they wouldn't see these little churches that were poor and dying and being killed as a valid way for me to go. But that's exactly what the Lord wanted them to do. They, wanted to, they were supposed to break off and go be a part of these dying, uh, martyred, poor, suffering Christians. That's what they should have done. But they didn't. And that's why you see the Lutheran arm coming off of the Catholic arm. And that's why today what you'll have is the same doctrines that are being held to in the Catholic Church have now creeped right back in. And, and in a lot of them, I'm not saying all of them, but in a majority of the Lutheran churches, you're back to a works-based salvation, something that Martin Luther himself fought against. But you've got to break free. Menno Simons was the same way, the Mennonites. Menno Simons was a Catholic priest, and he broke off from the Catholic Church, and he even actually preached within the Baptist churches. And so I think his motivations were correct and so forth. But the followers, the followers... They identified themselves with the man rather than with Christ's church. And that's why even within many Mennonite churches today, what's happening is uh, there's a church in my hometown. These are my family members. I got no bone to pick with these people. I love them. I would do whatever I could. <laughs> you know, get them saved. What I'm saying is not against people. It's against doctrine that's sending them to hell. In their catechism, they would have baptism time and they'd memorize these verses and these ideas. And then when they got baptized, they'd say things like, now you've passed into the kingdom of God. They're still doing that today. I'm blocked from my home church. My family members. I don't know, you know, whether these people are saved or not because they're so confused. Some of these preachers say, you know, I, I, know you can, I know you can know you're saved, but if I would teach that, the people would turn on us. So instead of risking the, separate, the, the division of the church, they decide to go along with the error. And that is all over the place. You understand that? So never are we ever going up to a Roman Catholic person and saying, I hate you because of what you believe. But I will say, I hate your doctrine. And the Lord does too, because it's a false way. And in love and care, we go to these people trying to win them to Christ with the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. But who did that throughout the centuries? All those red dots. You're a red dot. You're not in the blue. We're not Protestants. We were never a part of a protest. <laughs> we were always there. We were always being killed. We were always winning souls. We weren't protesting anything. We were just winning the lost. Winning the lost. And we weren't trying to reform something that's unreformable. You understand that? <laughs> you can't get it back. Because it didn't even start on the right foot. I can get into the details of how that all happened and how the offer was made by Constantine. But all you know is that someone within the leadership took something that he shouldn't have taken, and that is a position. And that position later on became what we know as the Pope. Okay? And so this is important because these, these historical things, they, they define who we are as a Baptist. 
So I don't want you coming here thinking it doesn't matter that we're a Baptist or someone, I just prefer this church and next week I'll go jump over there. Folks, it's because you don't understand. We're here based upon a conviction. And this conviction didn't start this century or last century or started with the the American Baptists or whoever it was. I mean, uh, what always happens is with, with churches, they feel somehow we need to get together and we join together underneath a common head. And so the Baptists tried doing that. And it, it, it ended up being, oh, now we're going to be called the Southern Baptists. And then they have the Northern Baptists. And they, they got themselves underneath a, a head that would keep us all together. Because unity is so perfect. But then what happened is in the United States, they started messing with the doctrines. And this head would begin to allow certain parts of their body underneath. you got to remember that when you start opening up all these bodies underneath one head, it's all going to find its resting spot at the lowest common denominator. There's no way that one church is going to hold strong and the next one's going to say, oh, that's okay. We're just, there's going to be a fight to be equal. And that's what takes place. And that's where the doctrine is lost. And so you have some people in this movement that said, hey, I'm a Baptist here. I mean, I believe the word of God and I believe what the scriptures say. So these men would have to leave the movement. And they went back to what they used to be, the little red dot. (laughs) And that's where we came from. You know, my pastor and his church and his pastor and their church came from a breaking off of that Southern Baptist movement. And the same thing's happening here in Canada. There's a Northern Baptist movement. And the same battle is happening there about doctrine and so forth. And I don't care what movement it is, east, west, north, south, southwest, it doesn't, I don't care what you call it. Ultimately, the battle is going to be about the doctrine and those that want to remain pure will have to remove themselves. That's just how it goes. Amen. And so that's why we hold to the independent church. It has to be independent because there's no way we can control all of the churches in the country. And there's no way one group in a denomination is going to control all the churches in the country. You know, who is going to do that? So is this group going to go to this church that is, going to, that is compromising doctrine? And are they going to go to that church? You better get right. No, they, they're just, oh, well, let's, let's somehow get along. It's all about getting along. And as that happens, the shift takes place and the settling out at that lowest common denominator the wider the cup the 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 shallower the water amen we're not concerned about wide cups we're concerned about narrow cups but deep 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 doctrine deep truth amen and that's what a local church gives you now i hope you understand what i'm saying here this like i'm saying this is not about me being against anything and that's what people first oh i don't want to say anything well (laughs) You're okay with children being baptized now thinking their sin is dealt with? Like, when are we going to care about souls? Or, or is just, it's got to be palatable, <laughs> you know? It's never palatable. That's why so many Baptists have been killed, 70 million. I got books of testimonies, very specific testimonies with names, places, methods of death, 
over and over and over. Several books. I've got some Baptist history books. We've you know, got the Fox's Book of Martyrs is another one. Not to say that only Baptist churches died. Some others that would, that would uh, just dare to challenge, you know, the powers that be. And so I just want you to see that. I want that to imprint upon your mind, you know. You're not the blue, you're the little red dot. And that's all we'll ever be is the little red dot. And that's what I want to be. And I want that little red dot to make a difference. Amen. So that many more little red dots can continue on as time goes on here. And maybe we can establish some more little red dots from this church. Amen. Thomas Armitage wrote, So likewise, the unity of Christianity is not found by any visible tracing through one set of people. It has been enwrapped in all who have followed purely apostolic principles through the ages. And thus the purity of Baptist life is found in the essence of their doctrines and practices by whomsoever enforced. Thomas Armitage, great Baptist historian. I got several books by him and it's, it's not an easy read. But it tells you the history of the Baptist. Tells you what, why we are who we are. And so I, I know I've kind of talked through my, my uh, introduction through this and given you far more that's in my notes. But, you know, there's distinctives that what I'd like to do is talk about in the next few weeks. And the first one is biblical authority. And not, not everybody has biblical authority. Uh, the Roman Catholic Church is not biblical authority. It's papal authority. That means the, the Pope has power to overpower the Scripture. And that's why you have worshiping of Mary. That's why you have the, uh, the belief that Mary was perfect and so forth. She's a co-redemptress. And so you don't get that from the Bible. <laughs> you know, the Bible says that's not right. In fact, uh, Mary said, oh, my Lord and my Savior. She called Jesus her son, her Savior. So biblical authority. I'll just give you these titles and we'll move on. We'll, we'll end today. And these all make up from the word Baptist. B is biblical authority. A is autonomy of the local church. So we believe that every, every church has its own autonomous governmental form. Uh, it's very much a democracy, but it's also somewhat of a theocracy at the same time. It, it requires us to have the same mind and choose together how we go forward in situations. And that's why it's not uncommon for us to have a vote and have 100% of everybody vote yes. If you start having a 50-50, then there's something really wrong with your church. <laughs> so autonomy of the local church. The third one we're going to look at is called the priesthood of the believer. And so, of course, with the Roman Catholic Church and other movements as well, they have priests. And these priests are those that, these are the priests. These are the ones that I have to go to. If I want to get access to God, and that's what the priest always was in the Levitical priesthood, uh, they would be the ones that get close to God in the tabernacle and so forth. It's the one that draws near to the Lord. But we know that now scripturally, we see in the scriptures is that everyone that is born again and has the Holy Spirit inside of them is, has become a priest to God. So you're a priest to God. I don't have to go through you. You don't have to go through me. But you have a personal uh, way to access the throne of God. Amen? And that, was, that became a uh, distinctive. Why? Because they were being forced into this thing where you have to go to this particular person to get your sins forgiven, which is heresy. And then we have two church ordinances. 
not three, two. <laughs> you want to do foot washing, go find somewhere else, man. I ain't washing your feet. <laughs> Spiritually, I'll do that, but not physically. <laughs> First one is baptism. That's why it's so important. We don't mess around with this. It's not just, oh, well, I am really meant it. I mean, sorry. We're talking about a distinctive here. We're talking about something that the Lord commanded the local church to, to uphold and to practice as a part of our ongoing functioning in this church. So that's important to us. Uh, the second one is the Lord's Supper. And that's done in, in remembrance of Christ. Not because of a sacrament or because somehow you're going to you know, get closer to God through the Lord's Supper. No, by the time you have the supper, you should be as close to God as you can get. Because it's about being right with God. Amen? And the next one, individual soul liberty. I love this one very much. Because it helps me as a pastor. If I would have to be the one to always, you know, make people do what they need to do, I'd, I would run myself ragged. I, I wouldn't last. I really wouldn't. But what takes that off my shoulders is God says, I'll hold everybody responsible. So you can say, well, my faith says I can do this. Well, okay, well, that's fine. I mean, we're, you can go and do that. You got to remember when you submit within the local body, you're submitting to the doctrine of that church. You're not getting away from that. But you do have every right to believe exactly what you want. But you can't just believe what you want and be a member of a local New Testament scriptural church. But you can go wherever you want in life and believe what you want. Just remember, you will meet God for what you believe. All right? So that's individual soul liberty. If we can learn anything from the Anabaptist experience, it should teach us that coercion makes no true Christians. It doesn't. Just like coercion doesn't make a Canadian citizen. Coercion is not the way to go. It's wrong from the start, you know. It's everybody has to have that freedom of choice. We all have our own will. We have to enact that will. People say, well, I don't, want, I don't believe what you want, but I still want to come here. Well, you're welcome to come, but you can't be a part of, uh, of the decision-making process of this church. You, you're welcome to sit and listen. But if you want to be a part of the decision-making, you're going to have your mind kind of where our mind is. Amen? Because otherwise we're just bringing in trouble, <laughs> you know? And so, but as Roger Williams said three centuries ago, only hypocrites. That's what, that's what coercion will make. It'll, it'll make people pretend. Pretend. And that's why I say even with church membership, baptism, you want to be baptized, I'm not going to come to you and grab you by the ear. I'll make a hypocrite out of you. I want you to have a walk with God. If you don't have a walk with God where you need to go forward and make decisions that are right for you according to the scripture, then obviously you're not ready to go forward in the local church either. It's a part of your decision-making process. You will meet God for that. It's an individual soul liberty, all right? Uh, the next one is separation of church and state, and that branches off from that. So we don't want governmental rule. I don't want a, the mayor to give me the authority to now force our doctrines on people. <laughs> you know, I want people to choose by freedom of choice and, and trusting that the Holy Spirit of God is working. And maybe that's why they coerced because they didn't have the Spirit. <laughs> Amen. God wasn't working on their side. Amen. And so that's why the, apostle, that's why the apostles, when they were um, told what to do, 
by their leadership, they said, no, we ought to be, obey God rather than man. And so we, we don't allow the state to dictate our Christianity. And they will come up with laws. They will try to contain because Satan's in charge of this world. And ultimately, once we get past this whole freedom thing that we thought was so great for the last couple hundred years, and they start thinking, no, well, maybe freedom's a little overstated. It is coming. But you're going to have to make a choice today that you will do what God's asked you to do. Do it wisely, do it smartly. Uh, wise as serpents, harmless as doves. Amen. But we're going to have to make a decision to do it. Um, and then the final one here that I have, and there's more, I'm going to add some uh, to this, but two church offices. Now this is something today as well, it's just all over the place. Uh, there's only two offices in scripture. That's the pastors and the deacons. Easily provable according to the word of God. There's no separate position of an elder. And yet we're, churches are run today by elders, not by pastors and deacons. And the one that's supposed to actually run the church is the pastor, the one that has to have the freedom to feed the flock of God, to bring that church into the direction that the Lord is laying on the heart of that pastor, that leader, that shepherd. I, I need to bring you to the, to, the, uh, uh, to the grass that's greener. I need to bring you to the place where you can be fed. And you can't have another man dictating that, you know. And so there has to be many things given to the pastoral leadership where we can go ahead and, and make decisions and sometimes we have to build a building, and some of you, I'm against the building. And well, I'm sorry, but this is a part of God's plan and His leadership for us. And we have to do this because it's going to lead to us being more effective, reaching people and feeding the flock of God and making stronger disciples and all these things that are on the pastor's heart. So a lot of people, they look at the money of it. It's all about the money, it's, it's just spending too much money. Folks, to me, money is just like, my goodness, if it would be about money, I wouldn't be here today. Man, I gave every bit, penny I had to be here. And that's not going to keep me from staying here. I just know when everything runs out and the rent goes too high, the Lord's going to have to do something because I ain't going nowhere. I was saying today, would I just go, go to this refugee, refugee camps that are all over the place and maybe just pick a tent and you know, put my family in there? Whatever we got to do, we're just going to do it. But I know the Lord isn't going to forsake us. And so it's not never above money. In the church, I mean... I mean, the Lord has blessed in such ways. It's just, uh, it's just a supernatural thing as we move forward. It's just like, oh, he says, you'll need this, you'll need that. Oh, thank you, Lord. I didn't know where that was going to come from, but here you did it. Because, by the way, this is his church. Amen. Amen. He'll provide. He'll lay it upon people's hearts. We have people just strongly burdened for the church and the building. I have people that are, that are more burdened for that building than people in this room that are, don't even come here. <laughs> They're burdened. To the point of weeping. You know? And they sacrifice for us. These people that God has risen up to say, well, you need to fund this church. You need to help these guys get where they need to be. And that's where a lot of our funds have been coming from. Not all of them. Some of you have sacrificed too. But folks, you need to understand something. Is your heart really that involved? Are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to put your money where your mouth is? <laughs> you know, type of thing. But God will always provide. He's going to take care of us even if we're not spiritual enough to know what we need. He's going to help us. Amen? And so pastors and deacons. Deacons are servants. They were there so that the pastors could 
uh, have freedom to study the word of God and, and pray and have those spiritual times that they need to build themselves up. That is always a challenge for a pastor. You know, I'm, I'm having to hop around on my knee, you know, to the building and try to take care of this, other, the other, and ordering and wood and all these things. I'm saying, hey, I'm a preacher, man. <laughs> I'm a pastor. You know, so that's why I've had to uh, cut out some things and, and focus, just completely focus on my study and then trying to get this building moving forward because it's a, a future thing that we need, you know, as the Lord raises up people to take up these burdens that are on the church, you see. And so it's all very important. It's, it's, it's all of the Lord, you know. And so this is the beginning of this. And of course, there's other distinctives. There's, there's separation, personal separation. And this is where the churches out there will call us legalists. And they'll say, oh, you just, you know, we've got grace. We can do it. No, my friend, you're supposed to be a holy person in this world. And you're supposed to show forth a holy God. And so there's some things we're going to preach on. I'm not going to go in your home. I'm not going to, you know, shake you up and, you know, empty out your pockets. <laughs> That's not what I do. But I'm going to preach what I need to preach so that we can get ourselves right and separate from the filth, separate from the people that are draining you, the people that don't care about the things of God and yet you give so much attention and love to them instead of the people of God. Amen people that aren't doing right in your fellowship and the people that aren't doing right. You know, sometimes I, I scratch my head about why Christians are being with people that are, that are have partaking in witchcraft. You know, partaking in these stupid things. You can see it online. I got proof. It's right there, man. I've seen it. And you're fellowshipping. You're eating with them. You're, you're out there. My goodness, man. How is God ever going to bless it? When we can't make a decision because we're scared to lose a friend. My goodness, 70 million Baptists that have died for the doctrine that you have so freely in your hand. And we can't even give up a friend. <laughs> we can't even stand for truth. We can't even put up with a side look in the church before we leave it and forsake the things of God. Take a hit, my friend, because the hits are coming. The day is coming where it's going to become far more evident that we're going to have to stand. Amen? And you're going to hope for the days that you just have to put up a little offense in the church. <laughs> Say, man, things were good back then. <laughs> Amen? Let's grow a spine. Let's be men of God. Quit you like men. Amen? Stop being mammy pammy thumb suckers. That's why I talk like that. Because I, I want men to be men. I, I'm tired of, you know, you cowering behind your wife. Stand to be a man. Lead. Lead in the truth. Stand upon the word. Amen? Lead your children into righteousness. And when they don't do right, make it plain. You're not doing right. My goodness, that's what makes a difference in the house of God. This isn't just about a, some grace thing that somehow we don't have to take a stand for anything anymore because Jesus just loves everybody. He loves everybody, but man, the local assembly is paid with the blood of men. <laughs> Many have shed after their, the leadership of their Savior when he shed his blood upon the cross. Many men have taken their crosses upon their own backs and have paid the price. And that's why you're here. Amen? 
I hope that motivates you. I'm a Baptist by conviction. This is no preference. Maybe you could just jump up and go somewhere else and not really care because they got the right program. But man, I'm just so beyond that, it's not even funny. I don't need no youth group. I don't need no, even a Sunday school. (laughs) What we need is chairs like this set up. What we need is this book in the center. And we need to keep preaching it and learning it and growing upon it. And never become a program-oriented church. And the only way we're going to have programs is if we can, it'll make it easier for this to be lifted up in individual lives in different age groups. Not just about fun and games. Amen? Even though you may have some fun and games, right, Paul? (laughs) So hopefully that helps tonight. Let's bow our heads. I may get a strike on YouTube. (laughs) Oh, Christian, I want you to consider what you are. I think this this series will bring us closer to what God wants us to be and maybe bring you to a point of decision in your own life of what you ought to be. This isn't just a a, a meeting group. This isn't just a soccer group. This isn't just a a book club. This isn't uh, something like that. This is the house of the living God. And I know we're not worthy of that title, but that's what it is. And we have to make a decision to reflect that God to this world.